We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into Hand Raise, guys. Presented by Comer Heating and Air and Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. I'm Neil McCready. Today on the show, I'm talking Southeastern Conference basketball with Blake Lovell of Southeastern14.com. It's a huge weekend of games in the SEC as the league hits the midpoint of the conference race. Ole Miss entertains Auburn Saturday, and we discuss that game, the Rebels season, and so much more from around the SEC. This podcast is presented by Comer Heating and Air and Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. Different names, same great products, people, and services. If you live in Oxford, Tupelo, or the surrounding area, call Comer, 662-801-1777. If you live in Hernando, Memphis, South Haven, or the surrounding area, call Southern, 662-429-4429. You know that the warmer weather is coming soon. It's still cool outside. People are still running their heaters, but it won't be long before you're running that air conditioner. Get Comer, get Southern to come out, check it, make sure you're ready to go when the warmer weather arrives and you're ready to cool your home with Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. This is an extra edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast. Please make the Oxford Exxon and Blue Sky a part of your basketball weekend. Stop by the Oxford Exxon on Highway 6 West in Oxford. You can fill up outside, grab some ribs inside. You can also check out their fantastic beer cooler, 34 degrees of sudsy goodness. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Fords in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call that number, ask for Corey Clark, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line, no hassle, no haggle. You get your quote and the rest is up to you. You can shop that quote around, or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. Again, 662-257-1900. Blake Lovell and all guests join on the Campbell Clinic hotline. The Campbell Clinic is in Oxford now, 2608 South Lamar Boulevard, Suite 102, just across the street from the cottages at Hooper Hollow. The Campbell Clinic provides full-service orthopedic care, everything from sports medicine to foot and ankle surgery to spine and total joint care to pediatric orthopedics, physical therapy, and more. To book an appointment, 
Go to CampbellClinicOxford.com or call 901-759-3111. Walk-ins always welcome at the Campbell Clinic Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. And this show is presented by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great. Therapy can be a great place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether with friends, work, your significant other, or anyone. I've I've benefited from therapy. It's helped me do my part in the relationships in my life. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com MPW today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com MPW. Now to the Campbell Clinic Hotline and Blake Lovell of Southeastern14.com. Blake Lovell of Southeastern14.com. They do lots of podcasts uh, about SEC basketball, SEC baseball, Blake is as informed as literally anyone on the uh, on the planet on SEC basketball. And Blake, we're approaching the midpoint of the conference schedule. Now, most teams will have played nine games. Maybe all teams will have played nine games by the end of this uh, this weekend. Pretty interesting, uh, interesting SEC race in a lot of different ways, both positively and negatively for different teams. What has what has, and we'll dive into a bunch of things, but what has surprised you the most so far as we barely turn to February? Yeah, like you said, it's it's kind of you know one of those seasons where, boy, uh, you could have looked back at the preseason standings and uh, there are plenty of us that look back and think, wow, is this really where we are halfway through the conference season compared to where we, we thought we would be? And of course, you know, like you mentioned, whether it's towards the positive or the negative, the negative would obviously be a team like Arkansas, um, you know, who has just been nowhere near what we thought they would be. I mean, I was I've been Arkansas up as a top three team in the league. And you can look at all the talent and say, man, maybe they've got some shooting now and all this. And yeah, it's just, you know, here they are at 11 and 10 and two and six in the league. And it's just not something that we would have ever expected on the flip side of that. You know, I, I told you I thought Ole Miss would probably be better than people think uh, when you yeah. looked at the roster. And, you know, you felt like there was a good opportunity if they had everyone available, which obviously involved, you know, Murray and CSA. If they had all those guys on the floor, said, man, you could compare this roster to, you know, a lot of others in the SEC and feel pretty good about their, you know, chances of matching up with with teams near the top. And could I have expected them to be 18 and three? Probably not. I wouldn't have gone that far. But you, you could see that the talent was there. So they've certainly been one of the positive surprises, but there's nothing that comes close to what South Carolina has done. And yeah. I mean, I was, I'm sure I know we talked before, you know, preseason and all that, like I was convinced and, and I am willing to admit it. I didn't know how anyone other than South Carolina was going to finish 14th in the league. Like I just, I looked at the roster and I said, man, I just, there's no room for error there. Like there's just, I don't know that they are going to be able to put all the pieces together the way I thought they would. And 
they have done nothing but the opposite. I mean, they, they have just completely figured out a way to put the pieces together. And, you know, whether it's Lamont Paris kind of carving out an identity for this team, which I think, you know, I'm sure as people have heard me talk about, I think it's one that's starting to come close to like a Tennessee-like team where they are just physical, aggressive, all those things. Um, it's just been remarkable what they've done, and that's easily put, I think, Lamont Paris um, with Chris Beard, of course, uh, in that Coach of the Year conversation. Let's let's talk about Ole Miss first because obviously the majority of this audience is, is Ole Miss fans. Um, 18 and three, five and three with Auburn coming to town. You know, I've told people this, people have asked me, you know, what's Chris Beard like? And I'm like, I don't really know the guy on a personal level yet because he hasn't been here that long and he's very work driven. He's the most organized, detail oriented, um, process driven coach that I've ever covered and I kind of covered Nick Saban for the kind of a season. He, he's, he's very Saban-esque with a little different personality because it's a different sport. Basketball coaches are just different from football coaches for whatever reason. There's just a little difference in the a DNA, I think, that separates them. But he, he, he reminds me of that very process-driven, uh, very results, not results-driven, but he expects to win. He expects to win right away. He he talks because I'm like you. I was kind of with about Ole Miss the way you were about South Carolina. Having covered Ole Miss the last few years, when frankly they were just bad. It I, I love Kermit. He's a great guy. It just didn't work the last few years. And when Chris Beard said, you know, the goal is the NCAA tournament, my cynical reaction was. Okay, cool. That's coach speak. I get it. Yeah. I get why you say that. It's cool. I'm not going to judge you for it. I'm not going to I'm not going to hold those words against you in February or March, but come on. <laughs> and here we are, Blake. I mean, if they beat Auburn on Saturday, and I realize that's a big if. We'll talk about that game in a minute. But if they beat Auburn on Saturday, their odds of making the NCAA tournament are in the 90%. And if they don't beat Auburn on Saturday, their odds of making the NCAA tournament are probably in the 70%. I mean, they're in pretty good shape one way or the other, but they're a win away at home where they haven't lost all season over Auburn, who doesn't particularly play great on the road from being a, they'd have to, they'd have to choke in the second half, not to make the tournament. And they get Missouri twice. They would have to choke in the second half, not to make the tournament. And I'm, really beginning to sort of struggle with how do you put this into story form? And I consider myself a decent storyteller. How do you cons put this kind of into story form as to how this happened? Because there was a lot to do for Chris Beard. I mean, the, the checklist of how do I take this team that went three and 15 in the SEC to the S to the NCAA tournament in a year, that's a really long checklist. It sort of looks like Santa's naughty and nice list, man. I mean, there's, there's a lot to scroll through, you know? Yeah, uh, it, it is. And I, like I said, I even as someone who was high on them and knowing that you mentioned it, just the the detail-oriented person that he is, he's won everywhere he's been. And you could combine all that together and say, he's going to find a way to win here. But I don't know that any of us would have thought he's going to find a way to win 18 of his first 21 games. And... I just think, you know, when you look at all the ways that they've gotten here, 
we've seen this season in college basketball. If you want to point to any other season, this is the perfect example. If you can find a way to hold serve at home, um, you're going to be in pretty good shape. And they've managed to do it, whether it's beating, you know, a still winless Detroit Mercy team by one point, by a single point, you know, back in November, or it's beating a Memphis team at the time that we thought was, you know, going to be something special. They've struggled a little better lately by three points or it's beating say. someone else by t- <laughs> it's like <laughs> it, you just look at it right it is such yeah. a wild thing i mean think about right it's i i told chris lee this the other day i'm like chris let's think about this for a second let's think about if old miss were to have lost that game to detroit mercy on november the 14th a team that is 0 and 23 right now and that's their only win of the season like how wild is it just to think about like that possibility for a team that's 18 and three and yet I think that shows you the progress this team has made. Like exactly. they're not, they're not the team they were in November. They are now a team, like you said, that is a legitimate NCAA tournament. We're not going to use you know, the, the L word just yet to say that they are for certain getting there. But if they beat Auburn on Saturday, as you mentioned, that percentage goes sky high to where they are almost to a point to where barring just a complete collapse, they're in, and they may be in with a you know comfortable type seed, uh, even at that point, given the opportunities they have left on the schedule. So, I think you know the thing we we've, we've talked about over the past couple of years. Um, you know, there were a lot of issues, like you said, and certainly they dealt with injuries and all that stuff. But there, there never really seemed to be anything maybe outside of a couple of years ago. I remember they had a they had a really good defensive team one of those years. It may have been twenty one or something like that. Like they were it pretty was good. The, uh, it was the yeah, it was the COVID year. They yeah. were they were a really good defensive team and probably a win. They needed to, I think if I recall correctly, they needed to beat LSU in the SEC quarters yeah. to get in and they didn't. And they ended yeah. up the NIT and they lost to Louisiana Tech. And really from that point forward, they were never a they were never a story again. Well, and that's what I was trying to think of is like even I guess in Kermit's first year, certainly, of course, they got to the NCAA tournament as, as the yeah. eighth seed and that was the team that that had the offensive firepower. You know, they had Terrence Davis. They had Tyree was there. Yeah. Um, Schuler, Buff, and all yeah, all those guys. But I, I thought I thought back looking at this team in particular, and I'm like, man, they just they hadn't had an offensive team like this in a long time. And you know, it's almost the we we all expected them to just come in and all right, Chris Beard's going to be able to work the magic defensively, but. Yeah, you know, offensively, we still don't know what we're going to get from this team. Just because you know it's fair to look at it and say. I just don't know. Even though you got some good offensive players, that's just been the the thing that stood out over the past few years. It's like they just haven't been able to get enough points on the scoreboard. And well, this year, I mean, I say this every week now. I'm like, I keep looking up. I'm like, Ole Miss is still in the top twenty in three point percentage in the country. Like, I just I could not have expected that with this team. How, they take care of the ball. How could ball. you? How could I know, you? Right? They couldn't shoot last year. That that's what I just can't on figure out. Last year. <laughs> I mean, if, they were. I mean, it, it's it's the craziest part of this is that it, yeah. and it's the part about Beard that I'm like, man, this dude's different because the the you know when 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 Chris got the job or when I kind of felt like he was getting the job and I was working on stories about who is this guy and all that stuff and I talked to people like you and others and a lot of guys in coaching and they're always like, yeah, you know, defensively he's just a. He's a mastermind, you know, the, the, the keep people out of the middle defense and his teams are going to always rebound really well. And that's their identity. And you look up and they've played 21 games and they don't rebound the ball well. Yeah. And they're very much a work on progress and on defense. They have some moments, 
but they also have some periods where defensively they're a sieve and you go, okay, if, if you just watch them on defense and just watch them on the boards, you'd go, okay, this team's like 500, maybe. I mean, cause like Detroit mercy and Sam Houston state and those games, those games were up in the air in the final minute, man. I mean, those were, those were tight. And, but what they've done is they've become a, a, a very, um, explosive offensive team with Jalen Murray, who had never played point guard before. Uh, they, they found a way for Matt Morrell to get shots. They took Alan Flanagan, who was probably the, what the fourth option at Auburn. And they've made him kind of a second, third option at, at, uh, at Ole Miss. And early in the season, he was the number one option. Um, Jamin Brakefield, who was a below average offensive player a year ago. I think that's being fair. Yeah. I, I, they've made him at times a very at times a borderline elite offensive player, but always a very consistent offensive player. And then they get some stuff from other people. And then TJ Caldwell goes for 18 the other night against Mississippi state. And you just start what you, I think you have to credit that to a couple of things and I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it. I think it's culture. And then I think it's watching him coach. Um, he, he exudes whether he feels it or not. I don't really know because I don't. I don't. I'm not in his in his mind. But he projects confidence, and his players end up playing with confidence. And in basketball, confidence really matters. I think that's it because, like you said, if you you just went down the the lineup of guys, and he has gotten the most out of all those guys. Like he has taken them to a point where it's like, okay, you could always see the potential in these guys. And even with the guys coming in, you could have said, all right, I can see him playing a role, but it's like, <laughs> you look up and you're like, Hey, Murray, Juju Murray is just, I mean, he's fantastic at times. Like when you look him and you compare him to some of these other guys in the league and the point guards, it's like, I don't know how many people would have said that he's probably one of the more, um, you know, consistent point guards out there in the sec coming into the season. I don't know how many people would have predicted that, but here he is, you know, being someone who's hitting big shots, um, you know, he's putting him in the right position. And then you just, you keep going down the list. Like, yep. Like you said, it takes Alan Flanagan, a guy who would, you know, battle injuries and just could not consistently keep it going at Auburn comes in this year. And he's just been completely rock solid. Yeah. And, you know, you just, it's everybody. And of course we've always talked about Matthew Morrell and what he can do. And, um, you know, he's always been one of those guys you felt like is kind of, I, I don't know if necessarily just underrated is the word just because, you know, the team was struggling. He was, he kind of always had the pressure on him to kind of sort of do everything. Well, I think it's helped this year where he doesn't have to do everything because he has other guys who are in a position where they can help him. And again, it's just getting the most out of all the guys that you have on the roster. Yeah. I Matt's like shooting better, Blake, because he's getting better yeah. shots. I mean, that's exactly, I mean, you know, yeah. And he, he doesn't have the pressure. Like I said, he's not everyone can guard Ole Miss now where it's like, all right there's the guy we got to focus on everybody else. We're going to take our chances when well, it's not the case, because you got to figure out a way to guard Flanagan. You got to figure out a way to guard Murray Breakfield, Like you said, potentially, you know, at times can be an elite offensive type player with how they're using him. And so it's, it's not just a one or two guys anymore. And that's what we see in the sec. They're going to be a team that's, you know, battling near the top, winning this many games. It can't just be one or two guys anymore. There's there's too much depth overall in the league, and you know too many talented players as there has been for years. But it's just the the nature of the transfer portal. Guys, teams just bulking up with numbers, and you got to be able to have those same numbers to compete. And Ole Miss certainly does. So, so 
I want to get back to some big picture stuff in a minute, but let's, I want to get your thoughts on, because I know you've watched Auburn a bunch. You've watched uh, everybody a bunch, but I know you've seen Auburn a lot because they've been at the top of the league all year. They're a team that, especially at home, they're just a juggernaut. Uh, Ole Miss went there a couple, three weeks ago and just got smoked, got run out of the building. It wasn't a competitive game for very long at all. Uh, Auburn comes to Oxford Saturday, five o'clock game, um, sold out. They set the record for the the pavilion on Tuesday night against Mississippi State. The word around athletic department circles is they're going to break that record on Saturday. That record's not going to last very long. The environment's going to be amazing. Auburn has struggled a little bit. Now, they played Alabama super close. They played Mississippi State super close, but they lost those games. Ole Miss hasn't lost at home all season. Give me a scenario where Ole Miss – what does Ole Miss have to do to beat Auburn on uh, Saturday night in Oxford? Well, I mean, I do think it starts with, like we said, that, that they're going to need to shoot it well. And I know they didn't the last time around, but I mean, really, we we can go to the extreme in the SEC. And I think Wednesday night was the first, you know, game slate so far a month in where you had the majority of, you know, the teams that won be the road team. And it's just like the fact that this game is not played at Neville Arena, like that is significant for Ole Miss because they're playing in a place where they've won every game. And I think naturally they're going to shoot the ball better. And when, you know, I'm sure you've looked at it. If you look at the the home splits for how Ole Miss is shot at home, they've been pretty good there shooting the ball. And I think that's where, when you look at Auburn, this is a team to me that it, it's interesting because I, I said a few weeks ago, I'm like, I don't see Auburn as a team that really has an identifiable weakness, but now that they've started to play a couple of road games, I think that weakness is definitely standing out. And that is still their three point shooting. And, yeah. you know, you've seen Bruce Pearl get frustrated about it. I think in those two games they played last week against Alabama and Mississippi State, they lose by four, they lose by six. There's no shame in that. But you could tell he was frustrated where sometimes guys would take open threes and he's like, well, you know what? M- maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there's a reason you're open um, and they want you to take the three because they went five of 25 against Alabama, six of 24 against Mississippi State. So I think – you know, they turn around and go 10 to 26 at home against Vanderbilt. But I think Auburn's path to victory is going to be more shooting, you know, probably 17, 18 threes, not 25 plus threes. And so if you're Ole Miss, I think it's very simple because if you remember back to the last game, which I know you do, like I said, Auburn was up 35, I guess, in that game at one point. Yeah, yeah um, it was a blowout. They just completely controlled things inside the arc. I mean, I think they shot 65% from two, um, you know, got to the free throw line, took advantage of their opportunities there. Even though Ole Miss, I think, out-rebounded them, they got some second-chance opportunities in that game. It was still a matter where Auburn just felt like they got whatever they wanted um, inside the arc, and they didn't have to rely a lot on the three. They only took 18 in that game. So to me, the path for Ole Miss is very simple. Make Auburn do what they've done these last two games on the road, and that is sit back and make them think that even if they're open, it's a great shot. It's a tremendous shot if you let them take it from three because the numbers suggest they're just not going to hit a lot of them. And everything they do needs to go through Janai Broom. Um, but right now, I think there are just times where it doesn't. And unless Auburn can kind of get more discipline with that, they're going to have some of these games on the road, understanding that they're not a good shooting team. And so I think Ole Miss is actually in a really good spot here, as well as they shoot it. And also an Auburn team that has just gotten a little, little too happy from three. Uh, they're going to have to scale that back a little bit, I think, if they're going to win this game. Yeah, we've hit the point in the season where everybody's really scouted. You know, you, yeah. you, you've you got numbers on everybody. You you generally know. And so 
if you're a coach and you think a team's going to shoot 25 to 30% from three, hey, I, I realize that means you're going to make one out of every four or, or, or a little bit more, but we're going to let you have those. We're going to yep. take, we're going to take the end. And I kind of anticipate that being Ole Miss's strategy. Chris Beard talked on Thursday about when you play a team the second time, you don't rely completely on the first game for your scout, but you lean pretty heavy into it. And so you got to think that their plan is going to be, hey, we're going to take away the inside as much as possible. And if you beat us shooting 47% from three, then awesome. Go for it. Congratulations. And the way Auburn's shooting, especially away from home, that's probably what Bruce is worried about. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what he's worried about. Because, you know, Bruce has always had a a free-flowing offense. It's been, hey, the guards can kind of do what they want. That They just need to be able to, you know, get, get us in the right spots and do this. But – we're going to give you freedom to kind of, you know, play your game and all that. But I mean, even going beyond, like we said, the Alabama Mississippi state games where they went, you know, 11 of 49 or whatever combined from three, that game at app state, why they lose that one? They went three of 27 from three, you know, 11%. And it's yeah. just, you can keep going down the list and see that this is just a team that's not, I mean, even at Vanderbilt, they won that game handily, but they went eight of 25 from three. To me, it just says, don't shoot that many like because the numbers just tell you that it's not working for you away from home. You're not a great shooting team period, even at home at times. So don't shoot that many. And I think they just got to, because again, often Auburn is such an athletic team with those guards and they have playmakers. And again, they just need to give broom enough opportunities to where you can't get to them on every possession. I understand that, but you know, you've got Jalen Williams, you've got all these other guys that can make plays that don't involve shooting three. So uh, I am very curious to see kind of how Ole Miss does that because I would, I would do probably what Chris Beard's going to do. I would just really force Auburn to take a lot of outside shots. And you know what? If they hit them, if they hit ten or twelve, then maybe just wasn't your game because they've just not proven they've come close to be able to do that this season. So let's get back to South Carolina. They play at Georgia, noon Central on Saturday. If they win, they're seven and two at the turn. Uh, could have gotten some really good odds on that in Vegas. Uh, their win at Tennessee the other day, I thought I thought the whistle helped South Carolina, but but I, I don't mean that to take anything away from the, what they've accomplished. To go to Knoxville and win, playing a physical game against a physical team on the road in that environment, that is a big gold star on the resume. How have they done this? How has South Carolina gone from being – look, I'll tell you how bad they were. They were bad enough last year with Gigi Jackson, who's an NBA player. Right. Yeah. They played Ole Miss on the Wednesday night at the at the Bridgestone in the first night where the teams that have no chance to win the tournament play. And Ole Miss was better. Right. I mean, that's all you had to know. I mean, Ole Miss, which was done, interim coach, the whole deal, they beat South Carolina that night. South Carolina, here we are 10 months later, um, they're they're a win away in Athens from seven and two at the turn, having an NCAA tournament bid kind of in their pocket. Uh, national coach of the year, probably possible opportunities for Lamont Paris. H how has this happened? I I think it. You said they went into Tennessee and beat them at their own game, and I think, like you mentioned, think about how many games fans have complained about Tennessee winning that exact same way, where Tennessee gets the whistle, they're playing physical. We're not getting the calls um, because, again, that's just the identity that Tennessee has carved out under Rick Barnes. They're going to bump you at every turn. Every time you try to take a dribble, we're going to bump you. Every time you try to go off a screen or make a cut, we're going to bump you. And we're also going to limit 
your transition. And I think that's what South Carolina has done. Defensively, they have figured out that their path to victory is simply, you know, we always use the phrase, I know in football, right? It's, it's bully ball. And it's not it's saying it in a, you know, demeaning way. It's just, that's the style is we're older. They're one of the oldest teams, not just in the SEC, but in the country. So physically, we feel like, you know, we can go out, we can withstand if teams get physical with us. If, you know, they play that way and it turns into a game where everybody's just, you know, we're just all over the place, like bodies just flying everywhere. We can handle it because we're an older team. Um, we've been in this situation before. We played a lot of college basketball between BJ Mack, Michi Johnson, um, you know, Miles Studi, Talon Cooper. They've all played a lot of basketball yeah. and they're, they're used to this now to where, they, again, I think have, and I will keep using the, you know, South Carolina fans may not love it, but I think they are sort of sort of becoming the Tennessee-type team where it's just when you see them on your schedule, I don't want to play them. Like, I, I don't want to play that team because I know I'm going to come out with bruises and all this other stuff. And, again, it's, it's not like they're just going out and just hacking people. It's just they are being a team that is the aggressor. And I think that's sometimes Kentucky wanted no part of South Carolina touching them. They, they wanted no part of the physicality. Tennessee, surprisingly, wanted no part of the physicality. It frustrated them to no end. Um, so, you know, whatever comparisons you want to draw, I don't, I don't think they're the, you know, the, the Detroit Pistons bad boys or anything, but they are, they're a team that I think is understanding that they have limitations. And I think some of those limitations are probably more offensively than defensively. And so what is, how do we close that gap? And I think it's just, it's playing defense the way they're playing defense right now. And guess what that is? That, that's great coaching. Like for everybody yeah. that gave Lamont Paris all the, you know, the issues last year and like they won 11 games last year. I think they only won one game by more than 10 points or something uh, of those 11 games. But he came out this year with a plan. He went and got older. He got the guys that he felt like were going to fit the way they needed to play. And remember he's, he's from the, the Wisconsin tree. Like, I think we have to remember that too. So like, they are adopting some of those same principles. They play one of the slowest tempos in the country. Um, and, and that's kind of in contrast to the way SEC teams play these days. You got a lot of high octane type teams. And so they, they figured out a way to be different and they're using that. And it's just, it's really hard for other teams to sort of prepare for. So. It's kind of an interesting study in roster building too, in this era of transfer portal and pay for play and all that stuff. Last year, they had an elite talent in Gigi Jackson. I mean, he is an elite talent. Uh, yeah. He's an NBA talent. He scores points on an NBA team nightly, and that's hard to do. They don't just pass out those uniforms. But he was a kid, and he got – you know, he was emotional, and, and they they were not mature. And a year later, they're a much older team, and they play with the level of toughness and maturity. You can say that some of the same stuff about Ole Miss. If you look at their roster, yep. it's a – it's an older roster. Musa Cisse's played a lot of college basketball. Uh, Sharp is Jamarian Sharp has played a lot of college basketball. Alan Flanagan's played a lot of college basketball and a couple of really good teams. And Morell and Brakefield and Jalen Murray was on that St. Peter's team that went to the Elite Eight. And there a bunch of guys that have played a lot of basketball. And I, I wonder as we move forward in this new era, if a lot of coaches at we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And I mean this respectfully at non-blue blood programs, if they go, hey, this is the way to do this. It's not really program building, it's team building and you build a mature older team that can kind of handle the ups and downs of a long season. Yeah, I think that's exactly the way it's going to move forward too. And I and I also feel like it's in the era of NIL and all these other things, it's like you don't know sometimes how a player is going to handle that kind of stuff, but you probably better take a chance on the guy that's a little bit older and maybe a little bit more mature, like you said, than just always counting on maybe guys who are younger and the the different stuff that comes along with with the NIL aspect of college sports these days. And so um, yeah, there, there's, it is interesting, right? Like there's so many different dynamics in play now than obviously, you know, a decade ago or not even that long ago now, but um, you have to adapt and you have to be able to adjust to different things that are sort of, you know, thrown your way now as a coach, because it's not just the way it used to be. There's so much more that goes along with it. So I think you will see a lot of coaches put their trust in just building older teams because, that's the thing too in the transfer portal. You there's never a guarantee transfer wise. Like you know, we talk about guys who are up transfers and all that from mid major, low major conferences. There, there's never a guarantee a guy is going to come in and just completely hit. I mean, take take Dalton Connect for example. I thought Dalton Connect would be good. Did I think Dalton Connect may be the you know one of the best players out there in college basketball? Period. One of the most dynamic scores we've seen maybe in a while in the SEC. No, like, but it's just kind of a guessing game. So you you build the team with proven guys who have contributed elsewhere, played a lot of college basketball, and you just you hope for the best because, there, again, there, there are no guarantees when you're trying to build your roster these days, just given all the things that you have to kind of put into it now. So, I don't have you forever, so I'm going to go through – I'm going to do this just by touching on some of the games Saturday and get your thoughts on programs more than the games themselves. So we mentioned South Carolina at Georgia. Uh, the other early game, Arkansas is uh, at LSU in Baton Rouge. LSU has started pretty well. They've kind of hit the wall a little bit. The story here is Arkansas on a number of levels. Uh, they, they've they underachieved. They're, what, two and six in the league. Uh, you mentioned point guard play. They've really gotten no point guard play on a team that I think they thought they had pretty good point guards. Um, they've got a lot of off-the-court stuff that's rumored to be happening, some stuff that is clearly happening and then there are rumors about Eric Musselman's tenure at Arkansas coming to a uh, coming to a close. He's being linked very heavily to the Louisville job. Um, don't want to spend a ton of time on the Hogs because I want to get to some of the teams that I want to get to Tennessee and Kentucky, Mississippi State, Alabama. But what what do you what do you what's happened in, in Fayetteville? Yeah, it's a great question because uh, you know I was as high on Arkansas as anybody coming into the season and. It just has not gone that way. And I feel like we could probably even just tie it to what we just were talking about in terms of the, the, the guarantee thing. Like there, 
there are going to be years where some teams are like cautionary tales in the in this era. And we had put every bit of confidence in, in Mus to just do it right every single year and have things work out because guess what? It pretty much has for him uh, since he was the one that was leading the charge in the transfer, you know, before we even referred to it as the transfer portal era. He was the guy. That's that what was, he was known for was putting <laughs> right? together with yeah. transfers and stuff. Yeah, that's what, he, that's what he did really well at Nevada and other places, sure. Yeah. And it's like, in fairness to him, when, when has he missed like this? Like, he hasn't before. I mean, it, it hasn't been to this extent. Um, sure, there may be in a couple of teams you look back and say, well, maybe last year's team should have won more than eight SEC games. But still, like, it hasn't been to this level. And they've been the last SEC team standing for, what, three years in a row, basically. And it's just, how could you have predicted it? Uh, you mentioned whether it's guard play, um, you know, all, all those other things. Like, this, this team just is not connected the way we thought they would. And we always hesitate. I, I used to say that with the Kentucky teams, with the freshmen. It's like, well, Cal's just been on a team of freshmen. Well, what's the chemistry going to look like? These guys have never played together before. Well, now it's like the same with every team from a transfer perspective because these guys have never played together before. So how's it going to come together both on and off the floor? And it just clearly hasn't with this team. So, I, I yeah, I don't know exactly where things started to take the turn or where, you know, all of a sudden they go out and get beat by 30-whatever at home to Auburn. That seemed like the spot, but uh, yeah, I don't know how it's happened. Um, but you mentioned LSU. I think LSU is a team to keep an eye on. I'm not saying they're going to make the NCAA tournament, but they got a lot of interesting opportunities the rest of the way here. Um, you know, they, they've got a pretty interesting schedule with a lot of, um, again, potential high win uh, opportunities. So I, I think they're getting better. But again, it just felt like Matt McMahon was in a tough spot when he took over there last year. Uh, tried to rebuild the roster a little bit. They're better this year, but probably still a little ways away from being a, an SEC contender again. The battle for 13th place in the league, Missouri, is at Vanderbilt. We're not talking about the game, but I am curious to get your thoughts on Jerry Stackhouse. A year ago, he, he they closed really strong and looked like a program on the rise. This year, they do not look like a program on the rise. Do you anticipate that he is finishing up his Vanderbilt tenure, or do they give him more time? You know, if you were asking that question about any of the other 13 schools other than Vanderbilt, it'd be a pretty easy answer, wouldn't it? Yeah. But um, it's like, well, it's Vanderbilt, so you don't really know. Um, I mean, I, again, you, you see when you watch these games that Vanderbilt plays at home, I mean, the, the numbers tell the story. I mean, it's they thought that that was the turning point last year. You had all the fan base back. Everybody was ready to get invested again. Uh, you missed the NCAA tournament, and it wasn't like, it is, you know, a couple years previous. It's like you missed in some way tournament. People are pissed because they're like, hey, we felt like we deserved to be there because we were playing so well and we're back invested in all, all this. Now it's like, who cares? Like, right. It's just we're back to where we were again. And it started to see it. It literally started game one when they lost that game to Presbyterian at home. Like it started there. And we've seen ever since then, they've only beaten one team, I think, that's ranked 300th or higher in Ken Palm of their five wins. So it's not even that they have five wins. It's that they legitimately only have one win of probably quality. And so, I, you know, again, it goes back to roster building. I don't know how anyone probably could have looked at this roster coming into the season and compared it to last year's. There were people, I think Vanderbilt fans even told me, we'll be fine without Liam Robbins. I'm like, did you watch Liam Robbins play <laughs> last year? He was one of the best players on the floor in the SEC. Um, we'll be fine without Jordan Wright. You're seeing what Jordan Wright's doing now at LSU. Um, he's just a gamer. And I like Mignon. I like Lawrence. But they – and I like some of the other pieces they have there. Rivera Torres, good freshman. Um, other guys have stepped up at times. But 
this just was not going to be a roster, I think, that was going to be able to compete outside of the box. Knowing that you have to build a roster that can compete with the one that Chris Beard's going to be putting together now, that Bruce Pearl's putting together, Cal, Barnes, Oates, everybody else. Like, and they just have not done that consistently. I think they're banking kind of on player development. And I think Jerry Sackhouse does a great job of player development. But as you know, this isn't what it used to be. It wasn't you get your guys as freshmen, let's develop them so they get the juniors and seniors, then we start winning. You have the opportunity now to rebuild your roster every single year. Are they going to be able to keep up so far? I'm just not seeing that. And this may be, you know, he took over a tough spot when he was there, but this team, you know, quite frankly, is one that may underachieve more than any other that he's have. He's had there just because, I mean, if they don't beat, which I think they will beat Missouri on Saturday, um, I don't see many SEC wins available for them the rest of the way. So, as I said earlier, most teams, if they finish two and sixteen in the SEC, you know what's happening. But I don't know; it's Vanderbilt. So, in the event that you're building your day around uh, SEC basketball tomorrow, get everything done by three o'clock Central Time, uh, four o'clock Eastern, because from that point forward, things get pretty interesting. Because I think this game, Blake, Florida at Texas A&M, is. It's not the high-profile game of the day, and it's probably not the most entertaining game of the day, but it's as interesting as some of the others. Florida coming off that big win at Kentucky. Texas A&M, I'm a big Buzz Williams guy. Uh, Wade Taylor the fourth is a stud. He can really score, but they they need some wins here soon if they're going to like feel really good about this. This feels like a must-win spot for the Aggies against a Florida team that comes in riding high off that win at Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, that was what we wanted to see from Florida is the, the knock on Todd Golden had been they just have not been able to win big games. I mean, last year they beat Tennessee, but I think they were 1-12 against the Ken Palm top 50 or whatever last year, and that was the only game they won. This year it had started off the same way until they beat Mississippi State last week where they had lost, what, five or six, I think, to, to teams that were in around the top 50 or whatever. And it's like at some point you got to win big games if you're going to turn the program around and, you know, He's only a year and a half basically into his tenure, but that was something that people knocked Mike White for when he was there. It's like he's a, just being able to win consistently big games. And so for Florida to go do that, it was huge because now I think, like you said, look at the opportunity that sits in front of Florida. They were a team that was kind of hovering right there NCAA tournament-wise. Maybe they're still out. Maybe they're in now, but they're they're on the bubble. And that's not somewhere you want to be, I think, for a roster that was this talented. And, you know, they're kind of similar, I guess you could say, to Alabama and Kentucky in that, they are so good offensively at times. They're just going to go out and beat teams because of that. Now, defensively, there's a lot to be desired. But, hey, if you can score points, you got a chance. And they can score points. And so they go play a Texas A&M team that you want to talk about weird. How yeah. Texas A&M has just become one of literally one of the hardest offensive teams to watch in college basketball. Their percentages are just putrid. I mean, they are just awful. for the fact that they don't turn it over and they get almost every offensive rebound that's in play. And so it's a weird strategy, but it just seems to fit, I guess, you know, how, how Buzz Williams like to play. They get to the free throw line, they get rebounds, get fouled, get to the line. Like that's how they do it. Uh, but I just, I had much higher expectations for this team. And like you said, this is a big game. They're 12 and eight, three and four in the SEC. They got some tough games left. They still got two against Tennessee. Still got to go to Alabama. Um, so they got to start finding wins somewhere, but this is also a game where I think we learn a lot about Florida's potential letdown spot. But if they go win this game, then I think you got to start looking at the Gators as a, you know, a legitimate, maybe they win a couple games in the NCAA tournament type team. 
We talked about Auburn and Ole Miss. We'll go to the next one. Mississippi State coming off the loss at Ole Miss. If you look at Mississippi State's metrics, everything looks pretty good. I mean, you know, they, they, they're net, all that stuff. Everything looks pretty good. But if they lose at Alabama, and it's going to be difficult not to lose at Alabama, they're three and six at the turn. Alabama, on the other hand, beats Auburn. They, they go to Georgia and win. They, they're starting to make a case that, especially offensively, they might be the, the toast of the league this year. They got a shot to do that here in the next few weeks. This is a kind of a defining game for both teams. And for Mississippi State, Blake, if they don't win in Tuscaloosa, they've got, a, on the, they've got an easier second half. But they're going to have to throw some wins together to feel good about things come March. Yeah, it's wild that Mississippi State's kind of in the same spot they were last year, although not to the extreme, maybe. Of course, they started one and seven last year, just a brutal first half of their SEC schedule. And then it started to, you know, lighten up a little bit. They had some opportunities late. They get still get in the tournament, you know, as the what the play in game or whatever, with only eight wins in the conference. And we didn't know if that was going to be the case. Now it's like you said, they're sitting here at three and five, likely to lose probably at Alabama to be three and six. Um, then things start to let up a little bit, but you do need to start, you know, kind of get, getting some, some good wins here because they've already racked a couple and that helps them with yeah. the Tennessee and Auburn win. So they've given themselves a little bit of a cushion, but the bigger problem is that, man, they just do not. And again, it's, they're not the only team. They just do not play well on the road. And I know that game against Ole Miss, that was probably their best road performance. I think of the, the season to this point, um, you know, they, they did things better in that game than they have uh prior just in the other games that they've lost but it's just hard to trust them because you know they're not they're not the worst three-point shooting team in the country anymore like they were last year but they're still not good they're they're a bad free throw shooting team i mean how many games alabama game they missed what 12 free throws or something like that they lost by eight they've missed some free throws and big stretches in other games where you probably look back and say man if we would hit some free throws so that that would worry me about this team even as good as they are defensively um you know it's like all right one of their strengths is three-point field goal defense well, now you got to go play Alabama, who's just been lights out at home from three. I mean, they have just probably hit double-digit threes in most of their home games this year. And so I think Alabama – I people thought I was nuts, I guess, when, when I said this. Like, they were six and five after they lost the Arizona game, and people are just like, how can you still be invested in this team? I said, here's what's going to happen. They're going to get an SEC play. They're going to play some teams whose offensive numbers are kind of – they're going to go backwards. Like SEC teams, we, we see it at times. Their offensive numbers look great in non-conference play when they're playing bad teams. But when you get an SEC, it's more physical, as we said, and teams are going to take a step back offensively. I said, but I can tell you one team that's not going to take a step back offensively, Alabama. They're yeah. going to still score because of the way they play. And I said, they're just going to go out and outscore teams. They may not be great still defensively, although they've gotten much better than Kentucky or Florida have if you compare yeah. those three teams together. Yeah. But they're just going to go outscore people. And I think they'll probably find a way to do the same thing to Mississippi State. It's like the Georgia game. Alabama scores two points in the first eight minutes. Come on, we know that's not going to hold. And then what do they do? They score 83 points in the final 32 minutes. Like, there's no other team in the SEC that can do that. And that's why I think, as wild as it seems, you want to talk about coach of the year, sure, it's going to be Chris Beard or Lamont Parrish, but – if Alabama's eight and one and they keep this thing going and Nate Oates wins the league again with this team that people thought no way they're going to be able to come close to that team last year. I mean, what, what else do you say? It's just, well, yeah, it would be you a see why, and you, you see why everybody wanted Grant Nelson. You see why I mean, oh, yeah. 
the, the teams that love to build around transfers, you know, Arkansas, Auburn, uh, you know, the, the, those guys, they all wanted Nelson. And you, you're starting to see why. I mean, he he's he's very impactful on the offensive end for a team that, like you said, for them to win, they got to outscore you. Because Alabama, while they're better on defense, you're right, they're, they're not an elite defensive team. Yeah. You don't look at them on defense and go, oh, wow, man, that's the yeah. San Antonio Spurs out there, um, you know, from the old days when they had Manu and T Tim Duncan and those guys, not, not today's Spurs, but the old Spurs. But they'll outscore you, and when Nelson's making threes, with the rest of that team, they're they're really difficult to defend. Yeah, he's been much more aggressive lately too. And again, it's like that was my pick when I picked apart Alabama last year or coming into this year. I said if you compare him to last year's team, I said what's been the difference in the teams that Nate Oates has just completely taken to another level? They've all been like top ten defensive teams. And I'm like, I don't know how they're going to defend this year, but it's kind of still been the case, but yet they're still finding ways to win. And it's kind of a scary thought because they are getting better defensively. Every game they're getting better. And that's a, that's a dangerous thing because like I said, they're not going backwards offensively with, with, with the parts that they have. So it's, it's one, I mean, it's one of the reasons that I think there's reasons for optimism here with Ole Miss is that Chris Beard's teams typically get better defensively as the year goes on. And there's some signs that this team's figuring it out a little bit. And like you said, if you, if you stay consistent on offense and you get better on defense, will you continue to raise your ceiling, which brings me to Kentucky <laughs> a week ago. I was like, yeah, they're figuring it out. Like they went to Fayetteville and Arkansas sort of let it, Hey, this is Custer's last stand. We're going to give it one more shot. Game days here. They filled up Bud Walton, real emotional. They came out of the gate, and Kentucky held them off and got the win. I kind of thought that's a good win for them because it would have been easy to roll over and go schedule loss. And then they get Florida at home, and they don't get it done. I know they had a couple of guys out, but they look whiny and pouty again on the, on the court. They – and they got some tough teams to play in this league. I mean, like you you talk about, you know, they went to South Carolina and they got blown out. They really didn't want any of that. And now you got Tennessee coming there off a loss. And Tennessee's going to play that same South Carolina style. They're going to bang you and bump you and uh, rub you the wrong way and piss you off. And they're going to out-tough you and you have to raise your level of play. And, man, I'm not sure Kentucky can answer this challenge on, on Saturday night at 730 and if they don't, the noise is going to start picking up in Lexington, not about Calipari and all that, but just about, hey, this is a program that's supposed to go to the Final Four. And Blake, if they don't win on Saturday, they might not be in the Final Four of the SEC. Yeah, I, you know, we joke. Uh, Chris and I had this battle. Like, I, I planted my flag on Kentucky uh, a couple <laughs> weeks ago. I said, hey, Chris, it's, I know you're pointing out the defensive numbers and all that. I said, but I, I can see some things. Like, I think they're going to get better defensively. Remember, I'm like, and then all their players in every game, they've had guys missing here or there. I'm like, that, they'll be fine. Like, they'll figure it out. I said, offensively, they're like Alabama. They're not going to have just bad offensive games. And then, of course, what happens, right? They have the South Carolina game. Yeah. And, you know, and that was right after the, the big Z hysteria. Like, you know, the Georgia game where, like, Oh my gosh, they just got the next Jokic. Like they got the Joker in there playing for them. And <laughs> yep. it's like, what happens after that? They go to South Carolina and just play their worst game of the season. So, of course, 
yes, I think now is the time to start being a little bit more concerned about Kentucky. And and I was not a couple of weeks ago. I thought the talent's still there. Um, I know they have some defensive issues, but I said maybe it's similar to Alabama where they're just going to go out and outscore people. But the problem is South Carolina won the blueprint for how to beat this team right now. Now, maybe they adjust. Maybe they get better at it over the next month. And it's, you know, they can handle those type of games in March. But right now, like you just said, I don't know if they can handle those type of games at this point. And until they prove that they can, I would worry a little bit about this Kentucky team. And they're going to get that opportunity to prove it on Saturday against Tennessee because you said it. I mean, they are going to do the same type of thing that South Carolina did. It's a different venue, but it's going to be the same type of game. Um, and how do they adjust to that? I don't know with this Kentucky team because, you know, something I, I pointed out to the other day, I said, here's the thing with Kentucky is, you know, you look at it, a lot of freshmen, but I think now we're getting to the point where we realize if Antonio Reeves or Trey Mitchell have bad games, they're in trouble because then you're just putting all the, all the pressure on the freshmen. Um, whereas like the other night, Trey Mitchell probably had his worst game of the season. I would say, um, you know, he had five points. I know he had some rebounds, but he didn't really do a lot. Um, and it's like, what happened? They lost the game. And it's like, I keep looking at this and I'm thinking, man, I thought this team had some room for error in different spots. Now it feels like it's starting to sort of close a little bit to where they've got to be perfect offensively because they're going to have the defensive lapses. And I know Cal pointed towards, well, you know, we were missing, was it Wagner the other night? Um, yeah. Edwards, they both didn't play. He's like, you know, it's an overtime game. Guys just got tired and all that. Well, yeah, but these are the kind of games you're going to run into probably the rest of the way. And so, sure, they need to get healthy. They need to get all their guys available. But it's a bigger issue than that with this team, and I'm starting to see it a bit more. And we'll see. If, if they respond well against Tennessee, then I'll feel a little bit better about them. But I worry that every, we're going to look back in the NCAA tournament based on matchups and all that. And we're going to see them play a team like South Carolina, and that team's going to replicate exactly what South Carolina did, and it's going to be another disappointing first or second round exit for Kentucky. All right, you mentioned the NCAA tournament. Last thing, look into your crystal ball. How many SEC teams get in on Selection Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I I think the number's eight. I know I, I don't know who it was the other night on one of the broadcasts. He's like, SEC get ten, and I'm like, I don't see that happening. Right. Um, Okay, if we just go numbers-wise, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky are all locked. So that's four teams that I think are for certain getting in. Um, like we said, Ole Miss and South Carolina, you know, win this weekend. They're getting close, I think, to, you yeah. know, again, barring just completely – You'd have to choke. Things. I mean, you'd have yeah, to choke. Yeah, you'd have to choke. Yeah. yeah you'd have, I mean, if both of them are 7-2 and two and 6-3 and three respectively waking up yeah. on Sunday morning, they would have to literally just choke. Yeah. So, I mean, that's six right there. And then, you know, for, for whatever reason, A&M is still, you know, the, the bracketologists still love A&M right now. Um, yeah. You know, they, they're still eight or nine seed or something, which I just, I don't know. But um, so, yeah, and, and I do think they'll they'll get enough to where they make the tournament, uh, but the shooting worries me. So that's that's seven. Mississippi State, I think, will find their way there, um, at least in the conversation. But like we mentioned, the schedule is kind of unforgiving at times. And then Florida. So, like, that, to me, that those are nine teams right there that are all going to be battling. I think one of those teams will get left out, um, you know, whether it's A&M, whether it's Mississippi State. Maybe it does wind up being Florida. But I, I'd, I'd feel pretty good about making the bet that it's going to be eight. I, I think getting nine will just be tough. Um, and who knows? I just feel like Georgia 
you know, a team like Georgia is still probably a little too far away. They really needed to get that one of those Tennessee or Alabama type wins so far, and maybe they get them late in the schedule. But um, yeah, I think you got nine teams that feel like they're NCAA tournament teams right now, or at least close. Uh, and as always, somebody's going to play their way out of that. So I'd go with eight. Last thing I said this, uh, I, I always tell people about your podcast. Please tell my audience how they can get you and Chris and keep up with the SEC stuff as we head down the stretch in the in the SEC race. Yeah, you can find us at uh, Southeastern 14. Like I said, we mostly uh, do our YouTube stuff every day. Uh, we, yeah, we have daily SEC basketball stuff. Most days it's multiple uh, videos going up talking about all these teams. And so you can go to YouTube, search for Southeastern 14. And, of course, any podcast app you use, you can just uh, find us there at Southeastern 14 as well. And, yeah, always appreciate it, Neil. I mean, this is, like you mentioned, it's it's hard to believe we're halfway through a conference season here. But, man, this this year's SEC has just been a lot of fun given kind of the rise of a couple of these programs we talked about. And um, so it's made a lot more exciting to to discuss some of these. Now, I will say before I wrap up, it's not been as exciting for me to discuss Dennis Gates, uh, who, as we all know, I was leaning in on last year and having fun with the Missouri fans, but I'm not sure how they've gotten here either, but uh, we'll, we'll try to turn that around. So it's, it's the roster building. Sometimes <laughs> yes. it just doesn't build right. And uh, it, it, if, if, if foundationally it breaks down, you see the yeah. rest. And I think you watch Missouri play and you can tell there's just no foundation as opposed to a year ago where they, they had a pretty talented team and they were playing with a lot of energy and, confidence and you watch them now and they don't they don't play with much confidence i mean they got kind of blown out of their own building by a bad arkansas team on wednesday which was pretty big statement for missouri no room for error in this conference anymore so really really none hey blake i kept you a long time thank you so much really appreciate it i enjoy your work and we'll talk to you again soon sounds good neil thanks everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.